And today I want to talk to you about faith. I want to talk to you about faith. There's some of you here this morning, I know personally a story. There's been a family member of yours that had faith that they would see you in services worshiping God with them one day. There's others that have, in faith, been healed that I see here this morning, that have miraculously been healed. And yes, sometimes God tests us again in that same avenue, but I've seen miraculous healing. We're talking about superpowers, which we often uh, think about the, the uh, super uh, friends or the, the cartoons or the superheroes, but really, in the supernatural, there's only one real supernatural, and that's the supernatural power of God, the supernatural realm uh, of the kingdom of God. And so, if you want to turn in your Bibles to, uh, to Mark chapter 11, this is where we'll keep returning back to. So, if you want to slide something in your Bible, uh, and taking notes would be really good today, because I'm going to give you some uh, four points that will be uh, helpful to you. But uh, slide uh, something in there to keep a hold of Mark chapter 11, verses 20, uh, and starting in verse 20, and then we'll, we'll spring back and forth through some other scriptures. But on faith... So I want to read to you uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 20 in the English Standard Version. Um, this is titled in your, in your new uh, today's version of Bibles that have headings, the lesson from the withered fig tree. Verse 20 starts, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered, it, remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have you or have faith in God? Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. If you're new here this morning, we're thankful to have you. I want to make sure that we connect with you. And uh, there's, a, there's a connect card, a green card that has some uh, blades of grass on the other side of it. If you fill that out and get that to myself or my wife or someone here after the service, we'd really like to connect with you. If, if you've been continuing on this journey with us, there's going to be some familiarity. This is going to very much tie into our previous messages in this uh, series. Some versions add verse 26. You might ask, if you've started an in-depth Bible study, why is it some versions do not include uh, verse 26? And that's because in the oldest manuscript of this, it's not included. That's not to say there's not an undiscovered older manuscript that has it, but the tendency to think that the older, the more true, is not necessarily true. Some of you men that have been in men's Bible study with professor of, of biblical studies, uh, Jim Blankenship from John Brown, uh, he gave a great explanation of this, that uh, it's, it's these folks that were the scribes that were charged with writing and copying these scriptures, and they can look back and see, did, did, uh, was there one particular one that they made a lot of copies from one area, and it's all from certain witness they're talking to, or looking at others that may not be the oldest, but they popped up all over the world in similar times, and they all said the same thing. Now, which more credibility would you give to if you could find various versions all the same but had been written by others who'd heard different witnesses. So, so there's different ways they come to realize, you know, what should be added not. And so some versions, they've left that out, but that's not to say uh, it might be a scribe saying, yes, and I also know, and I've also heard Jesus has also said this. Uh, in verse 26 when it says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So we will cover that. But just so you know, in your Bible study, you will not find that in some versions. So, we know that, um, that, uh, that where we're at on this is that this is really, uh, if you remember, the final week of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. On Sunday, along with tens of thousands of other pil Passover pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem, Jesus comes to this little town outside of Jerusalem, about two miles to the east, named Bethany. And he's being invited to the home of some dear friends of his, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. If you'll remember that a few months before, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so uh, 
So they're having this dinner for him, and people are coming out. And I can imagine, you know, um, it's kind of, imagine, you know, you raise this guy from the dead, his family's back together, and they're obviously going to ask you over for some steak, right? At least we can do is kill the fatted calf, right, Jesus, and give you some filet mignon. I mean, they're coming over. No, we don't know what they're having for dinner, but we do know that that's the occasion, is that because uh, they're, they're celebrating having Jesus back in their home. And he's already headed there for the Passover. So, um, so they're having dinner for him, and people are coming out from Jerusalem to see him there, and the word is spread that, that he is going to be at the Passover. You have to keep in mind that there's talk going on, right? Um, gossip, if you will, but it's spreading about Jesus. It's really more testimony than gossip because it's true. Uh, there's talk of him being a Messiah. Um, there's talk of him being a political deliverer, which is the part that's not, not necessarily true. Um, talk of him breaking the yoke of Roman oppression, which was very near and dear to their hearts. And so the next day on Monday, he makes his way to Jerusalem, and the crowds come out of the city, and the crowds come up to uh, about Jerusalem, and they're all together, and he goes down uh, to the Mount of Olives. And it's called, this is called the triumphal entry, or as, as we, we know today, Palm Sunday. It's very fitting, as we have Easter coming up next Sunday, that we're in this text for today. And so many scholars would actually say it was on a Monday. So we're going to go with the premise that it was on Monday. But the temp, he's at the temple courts. He goes up into the temple area, and he takes a look around. And, he, and he, if you remember from our last lessons, he, he sees the money changers, and um, it's religion gone bad. And um, he sees the, them ripping people off, these exorbitant amounts of, of, of pricing that they're giving for sacrificial animals, sometimes 10 times the going rate. So that sheep, that looks pretty good. It's got a few spots. Uh, you know, it, it might cost them normally $10, and they're trying to get 100 for it because people are in desperate. You're coming, right? You've come into the service for heavy laden. I've really messed up this time, God, and I need to quickly get rid of this guilt, you know, get rid of this conviction and so what better way to make money than off the convictions of people who fear God is upset with him and so he sees this and he sees them ripping them off and and taking advantage of people going to worship God and he sees all of that and Matthew tells us he heals several people in the temple court area Um, but even at that he looks around he goes back to the city of Bethany and he again stays with Mary Martha and Lazarus So on Tuesday morning, he's making his way to Jerusalem to the temple where he's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to crack the whip. He's going to run out the money changers. And um, as an object lesson, he sees this tree, a a fig tree. It's got lots of leaves on it. Looks very healthy, but when he gets closer, he sees there's no figs on it. It's an anomaly. Think about it. You see a good, healthy fig tree, what would you expect to see on it? What are leaves usually the evidence of on, on fruit, on fruit-bearing trees? What came first? The bloom, right? The bloom, and as the bloom goes away, the leaf and the fruit. So that's usually, that's, that's usually what's associated with. So Jesus sees this, and he gets close to it, sees those figs on it, and he curses the fig tree. Now, see, this is the, one of the times I see most, most uh, of Jesus' humanist he's god but i see a humanist because you know it's kind of like stuffing your toe on the edge of the bed and saying dad blame bed right you use those christian curse words those ones that won't really get you in trouble with god but they're they're just used they're useless really but it made you feel better and, and so you're you're cursing that that animate inanimate object but see this is the creator right god's son the creator of all things and so um he has dominion and rule over how these things function, and that's not how he created it to be, and so he curses it. And he goes on into Jerusalem, and he cleanses the temple, so he goes in, kicks tails, takes names. The disciples are seeing this. You know, Jesus comes out. I mean, they're like, I haven't seen this before, you know? And, and so he goes back to Bethany, and now it's Wednesday morning when you come to Mark chapter 11 where we're spending our time today in verse 20. So let's pick up there. It says, As they passed by in the morning, Wednesday morning, they saw the fig tree withered away by its roots. Now most fig trees who have, uh, are full of leaves would take weeks if not months to die. And they come back literally in short order here a day later and it's 
withered and dead. So Peter, along with the other disciples, um, we just assume, because Peter's mentioned he's just the one that spoke for them. I'm sure they all saw it and all had the same feelings of Peter. But he said to him, Rabbi, look. And he calls him Rabbi. It's, it's interesting in Mark's gospel that 12 times Jesus is called teacher and four times he's called Rabbi. And every single time it's used as an expression with an element of shock to it. This is actually meant to give us a feeling of how it's said. Peter is, is shocked. He's stunned. And Peter is looking at this fig tree and saying, Look at that! Look at that! We were just here. That thing was healthy. Look at that. Now, I don't know if he heard Jesus curse the tree or not, but I assume he did because there's a lesson that follows in this that Jesus uses. So uh, he would not have gotten the lesson, I don't believe, if he had not heard him curse it. This fig tree's dead. He is shocked and he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. And this sets up a lesson from the mouth of our Lord on supernatural, the superpower of faith, mountain-moving faith. If I could just say this today, there are few topics more important to your spiritual vitality than faith. And it happens to be one that if you were to go to the altar today because of conviction about your faith, then I would need to be right there with you because this is challenging to me as well. Faith is very important. We go to God in faith. We go to God by faith. We do works in faith, believing God for the things he's promised. And Jesus said on several occasions, as uh, with faith, be it unto you. This was important. This was an important teaching that he repeated. So you read in the Bible over and over and over, it talks about the importance of faith. And so many different denominations, many different beliefs uh, spend a great amount of time on this topic. And uh, unfortunately, we come up with many different variations of what Jesus meant. But we have talked about ourselves. We've seen it. We've seen faith. I see Sandy sitting here, and Sandy knows what I'm talking about. I've seen somebody miraculously healed, uh, you know, before. Um, she knows about that. And so um, Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter on faith, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. One of the things I say most popularly to people who are either new in their faith or struggling, and, and I'm counseling with them, is I say, listen, I'm an all-or-nothing guy. And I mean that because I cannot get this thing of why we would half-heartedly go at the word of God. It's either all true or it's not. Why toy with yourself? Why, why, why play with your life like that? If you're not going to be all in and say, I believe this with everything I have, then why not just do something else? So Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, everything is possible for him who believes in the NIV. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse, 50, uh, verse 58, and he went to his hometown in Nazareth and he did not do many miracles there because... Of what? Their lack of faith. Did Jesus have less power when he walked in? It's like Nazareth is his kryptonite. Jesus walks in and as he gets in the town square, he's like trembling, you know. Oh, Lois, Lois Lane, go get. You no, know, that's, not, that's not what we're seeing here. It's actually because of their faith. It's why I've said many times, uh, big evangelists that you may have, because they're so notable, lots of people fall. But those that fall, many times people will say, well, look, all of that was a bunch of hooey that nobody really was changed by that. No, that's not true. There are people changed in that ministry because of their faith in God. The man that stood up there got held accountable for his personal relationship to God and leading people astray. But it does not negate when God answered people's prayer of faith. And so faith is critical. Because when you and I don't operate in faith, we are not going to receive from God like we would if we, if we had faith, if we believed in him. And this is a bedrock lesson for everyone in this room, even as it challenges me, as I said. I'm studying it, even as I'm preparing it, I'm getting ready to preach it. Uh, it doesn't matter, Jen and I were talking last night because, as you know, I borrowed uh, sections of this um, sermon series. It's half of one, it's a little bit of mine, it's some of others, and I borrowed some from... Uh, John Lindell at James River, 
And I didn't even realize that two of the messages were connected. I didn't know he had preached them in the same series. Literally, when I looked them up, I looked them up by topic. And I pulled them up, and I realized he had preached these back-to-back as well. And I said, told Jim, I said, that's really weird. It wasn't. I know God was putting something together, but I was like, it, it's, it's just amazing how God, he, in his word, he'll repeat things over and over for you get it. And myself and other young ministers, we talk, and many times we'll find out we've been preaching the same thing. We might have uh, decided to preach the same thing at the same time of the year. Like God wants to get a message out like an all-points bulletin to the whole church. And so, faith is critical. And so, without faith, you can't receive God. So what I want to do, I hope you're taking notes, I want to give you four characteristics of mountain-moving faith, of supernatural, powerful, mountain-moving faith. The first is the superpower of faith only comes from faith in God. Here's the thing. Mark 11.22 says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Not have faith in faith. See, that, there's nothing worse that we can do as a church than start down the path of having faith in faith. Any of the, uh, the, the major um, ministries where you have this little twinge in you and say, is this really the Bible or self-help? Well, that's because sometimes people, they get so wrapped up in faith, they have faith for faith's sake, not faith in God. I'm going to explain to you the difference. I think that's a danger that believers have is to put our confidence in faith and we make faith the issue, not God the issue. I think the disciples probably got tripped up in that as well. We could go through passages where I I think we'll see hints of that. And so, he is the one, God is the one we are looking to. Faith is merely the channel by which we receive from him, but our faith isn't in faith. You'll have people say, just have faith. Just have some faith. How about, just have faith in God. How about trust God? How about seek God? How about go after him with all your heart? Like Pastor Jim that started the church, he's like, go after God. And and as his youth group used to feel like, it's like, oh, come on, go after God. Like he's somewhere you got to go chase and find him. Well, what he's really saying is, with your heart, go after everything God has for you. We have to be careful that we don't fall into this trap of faith for faith's sake. You have faith, but the issue isn't that you have to have big faith. A lot of people get caught up in that and think the disciples, um, they, they, that Jesus was teaching the disciples that they had to have big faith, that there's a measurement. That you have more faith over here, you're going to be a spiritual giant. You have less faith over here. This is not the case. Um, in fact, in Luke 17, 5 through 6, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. So this would be a great opportunity that if it was about quantity. If it's about quantity, Jesus would have said, you know, that is a great question that you ask. That is very commendable of you to be seeking to increase your faith. So they're watching him, and, and you might expect that. You know, here, and Jesus is going to say, here, here's some spiritual push-ups to do. Here's some spiritual sit-ups or chin-ups. You, you just need to get in spiritual shape, and I'm going to give you a greater quantity of faith. But in Luke 17, uh, 5 through 6, in verse 6, he says, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, so we're using small here, and that makes us think about quantity, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. It's interesting. You know what he's saying? Let's not make this so complicated. He's talking about the smallness of the mustard seed as don't make it complicated. That, 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 that it's not that you have to have a whole bunch of faith. It's that you have to have real faith. It's just a little bit of real faith. Very, very powerful. And not make it complicated. So let's not make the focus on faith. Let's make the focus God because it goes on. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, plant in the sea, and it will obey you. Let me put it to you this way. A small amount of faith in a big God results in supernatural work, but, but more so a real amount of faith. Real faith in a big God produces supernatural work so the second the second characteristic of this superpower of faith i want you to get today is the superpower of faith is spoken 
Now this is where I began to slow down and tread very lightly because I could very easily lead you to believe I'm preaching one doctrine when I am not. The superpower of faith is articulated. It is spoken. You know what happens is a lot of people, um, a lot of people is they, they are having faith believing in God for something, but they're doing it secretly. They, there's a reason why. They, they don't want to appear foolish. Or here's the reason why. They don't want people to think they're a nut. Or they're afraid God won't come through. Or they're afraid they haven't really heard from God. They're afraid someone may not understand. But when you're fully committed to God, when you're obeying Him, your faith is spoken. Now this is where I'll make a public confession of, of uh, where I had to repent. I'm in that hospital room with Trey. Some of you know that that's dealing with stage 4 cancer. And, and uh, he accepted the Lord and it was a powerful, powerful moment. And Dave was there and, and then... Uh, uh, after that, we baptized him there in the bed, and as that water poured over his eyes, I keep mentioning that because it just burned in my memory. It's just like I saw, I just saw things being washed away from him. And, and it was just like a beam of light in his eyes, and there was a change. And, and at the end of that, we anointed him with oil and prayed for him. He was getting the full gamut. because we, we were drying him off and putting something else on him and drying him off, and, and we prayed for him. And, you know, I felt a real charge, like, in my spirit about it. And he started to say something after, just kind of like he went into another question. He'd been asking me a lot of questions. He says, do you think God will be, is okay with cremation? And before he even got out, I said, we're not going to have to worry about that. And I stopped myself. And I was like, and he said, well, I just, you know, just want to know, just, you know, just in case. And, and we kind of went on. And as I was leaving that day, I got real stirred. I was like, you know, I, I just I feel something in my spirit. Now, what I'm fighting inside is because I believe God's speaking in my heart, but I'm so scared of what he might be saying to me. Because he's putting on me to be the one to speak it. And so as I called Dave, I was called Dave talking 90 miles an hour, worse than you normally hear. I'm like, Dave, I, I don't know. I, I really don't want to be that guy to tell a guy he's healed and then he dies from cancer. But I just feel like there's something that happened and I'm, I'm really excited. And then, and then I go back the next day and Trey says, I haven't felt pain since that happened, since we prayed. So I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing? But you know what? He had tests done. And they're still seeing a problem, and he still has that chemo. So then my faith, I'm like, okay, well, see, that's exactly why I didn't want to say anything. It's exactly why I didn't want to speak it out, because, because I'm not in control of that, and God is. And, and I've grown up because I've been scared of this name and acclaim it thing. You know, I've been scared of that, of ever going and venturing that way, because people will get out there and they start proclaiming things in faith, but for faith's sake. Because it's a badge or it's a... It's a uh, a, uh, I can't even think of the word. It's, it's a theology. It, it's a point to be argued. It's a point to be taken. It's a point to separate me from this brother in Christ because they don't get it and I got it and I got the special thing. And we do that in every denomination. We have our own little uh, idols, I guess, in every denomination. But, but I, I'm scared of going that way because I've seen how when, when that hit big in the 80s and people were claiming their Cadillacs and claiming all that stuff and then they went broke and then they had to kind of crawl back into the churches they're in because they realize God is not a genie in a bottle which you rub it and say a magic word and he gives you what you want. And we're going to cover this. Listen, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to make people mad. I'm not here to offend anybody. I'm just going to tell you that there is good biblical reason why there's a balance between the two. When you're fully committed to God, when you're obeying him, your faith is spoken. Real faith, strong faith, supernatural faith, a mountain-moving faith. It's an articulated faith. Look at it. It's very, very interesting. In Mark chapter 11, verse 23, it starts out, Truly, I say to you. And he's going to say this again in verse 24, but when he says, Truly, I say to you, this is like, listen up. Listen up. He's repeated this thing before. It's very, very important. If you miss everything, don't miss this. And notice, it's not only very important, it's very personal. Truly, I say to you. Truly, I say to you, Jen. Truly, I say to you, Belinda. Truly, I say to you, Ken. To you, Danny. To you, Aura. To you, Johnny. That truly I say to you. And he says to every single person in this room. This, this, this is his word addressing the true situations you, feel, you, you face in your life every day. The cancer, the loss of the job, the provision, uh, the healing. Those things that you face, he's addressing that. Now look what he says next. 
whoever says. It's interesting. It's not if you're one of the 12. It's not if you've been walking with me for a long time. It's not if you are a mature Christian or you've, you've gained some notoriety with me. It's whoever says. There's not a qualification for this. It's whoever, whenever, whatever. Well, not necessarily whatever, but whoever and whenever. And God is in agreement. That's what it's saying. Now, you've got to understand the background of this because he says, whoever says to this mountain. Now, why is he picking out a mountain? Why couldn't he say, whoever says to this stream? Whoever says to this, uh, this wall of this building? Why, why did he pick that? Because I used to drive around. I mentioned as a kid, I would want to look at a mountain and say, be thou removed, go in the sea, inside my head, where nobody else would hear me and think I'm crazy. And it wouldn't happen. I was like, not there yet. <laughs> Try again next time I come by, you know? real instances real thoughts and that's what's wrong with me but anyway <laughs> but what's the backdrop here? You, here here's the interesting thing when you dig into the history here Jesus is coming up with them on the Mount of Olives and when you get up there when you crest the hill of the Mount of Olives you can't miss something there's something so blaringly obvious that you're going to see at that time and where they're at you can't see it it's the Temple Mount it's huge this huge plateau the Temple Mount it's a man-made monstrosity you see this huge platform that Herod the Great built? It's 15 football fields in size, so it's massive. But see, that's not the mountain Jesus is referring to. Today, it may be the Temple Mount then. Today, it's called the Dome of the Rock. But you see, this is what Herod did in building the Temple Mount platform. It took him 46 years at the time of Christ. This, this is under construction, 46 years. And so... Uh, the thing had been under construction for the 46 years, but what Herod had done to build this is he had part of the ridge of Mount Moriah, the, the crest of it, the slope of it. He had men going up there for 46 years, pulling down parts of that slope to build the Temple Mount. So literally, they, they were pulling apart this mountain and moving it down, but it took them 46 years and a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of slavery, blood, sweat, and tears. But it's one of the architectural wonders of the world how he did it. So he moved a mountain and he moved it down to create this platform for the temple and everyone there would have understood that at the time. So Jesus with this backdrop or this foreground really looking at the temple mount with them up there and they just saw him curse this fig tree you know the day before and then it's dead and then he's saying have faith and then he tells him I tell you that if you say to that mountain and you don't doubt what you say you believe it say this mountain be thou removed and cast in the sea now come, come to think about it, you know, uh, when they go up that mountain come down, they're probably not that far, and that was made sense. Go up this mountain, take the dirt. Probably the closest thing to it, right? Uh, but you can say that mountain, be thou cast in the sea, not 46 years later, but it will be done. Listen, you can move a mountain, humanly speaking, given enough time, given enough resource, given enough ingenuity. You can move mountains with back-breaking work, or you can move mountains by faith. This is what Jesus is saying. Herod moved all that earth, that mountain, by slave labor. A lot of time, a lot of money. And Jesus says this in Mark eleven twenty three: Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Look at it. Whoever says to this mountain, Look at it again. Who believes that what he says will come to pass. What he's talking about is he's speaking faith towards that obstacle that you and I face. He's not literally telling them, hey, show up Herod and we're going to move this mountain into the sea. He's saying those things that seem immovable in your life, they would take thousands and tens of thousands of slaves over 46 years to move down just to build the base for what you're getting ready to do you can speak in faith if you believe in your heart and you do not doubt it and it will be done what he's talking about is speaking faith towards the obstacles that you and i face and there's a place for articulating for saying for calling things into line with god's will not speaking them into existence because we are not god and we do not create we, by, by his will and by his faith, we speak to those things, and he does them. But he, doesn't, he is not commanded by us. He is not ordered by us. He is not obedient to us. 
He is the God that as we look to Him in prayer, in faith, and walk out of that time saying, I believe God. I believe God's going to heal me. Not that I think God's going to heal me. If that's the best you can do, then that's the best you can do. My, my moment with Trey, hey, listen, I gave myself, uh, I've given myself some grace. God's given me some grace in that because, listen, I'm still walking this path trying to figure this out. I want to be able to smack my hand with some oil on somebody's forehead and say, rise up and walk out of here. You don't need the doctors anymore. But listen, if God speaks as my heart and I follow through with it and it happens, that's a game changer. But until I'm there, that's where I'm at. If that's the best you can do, that's the best you can do. But mountain-moving faith, superpower faith, comes from whoever does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says. And there are some who will hear this and think that sounds again like name it and claim it, like, oh no, you're going down that road and, I'm, uh, and you know, I may get some emails or something, but that's, that's okay because I'm not saying that we just say anything. That we just speak anything and God does it. People go out of their mind over this. There's, there's, it's something that Jesus says more than once. It's important and it's true. But just like many teachers, Jesus says some things in different settings, slightly different and multiple times, but it's still the same thing. If you see it once in Scripture, it's very important. You see it twice, it's very, very important. You see it three times, it's super important. And how much more is when it's from the lips of our Lord and as far as giving voice to our faith, you see it in Matthew chapter 17. They're asking about faith because they couldn't cast a demon out of a boy. And it says in Matthew chapter 17, 20, he said to them, because of your little faith, it says them because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will Will be, impo- will be impossible for you. Different time, place, situation, same message. So if you believe and you speak your faith, if you say, you know, I trust you, God, and I'm going to believe because your word tells me to believe, and if it is in the will of God and the heart of God, then it is going to happen. Even if it seems ridiculous to others, I have confidence to speak what I have faith in God for what he's going to do. And then we see Matthew 17, 20, you will say to this mountain, move. And then Luke 17, 5 through 6 says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, listen to this, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and obey you. He's talking about, there's two different things here. And there's two people that, that heard him say in the same, the same message, but in two different instances, in two different ways. That thing you've asking for, that you believed him for, and now you're, you're talking about it with others as though it was going to happen and it's reality, that's what we're talking about. It, it's being bold enough. Now, there are some things I get it that are going to be so personal, so, so um, you just can't share with everybody. And, and that's different than what we're talking about here. But it, it's those times when you know God may be speaking to something in your heart and you keep it quiet because you don't want to be wrong. But it's not you. If God's putting it on your heart, then it's his words. And you stand on that and you speak that. Mark eleven twenty three again, whoever says to this mountain, and then what he says comes to pass, and it will be done for him. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And if you doubt that, here's where we get down to, I'm going to prove to you, I'm not talking about positive confession, I'm not talking about name it and claim it. Because here's where the balance comes. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. If you doubt that, you can just go home and start speaking death to your mate. It's a costly experiment, but you can kill a marriage with words you speak. You can make a marriage bloom with the words you speak. You can kill a child's self-esteem with the words you speak. You can take away any opportunity they had to excel and to know God even greater than you did in the words you speak. Or you can speak life into them because the words you speak are powerful and they can rise up and hear those words. And, and, and you know what? It's an amazing thing. God gives you grace. Sometimes they don't see how bad of a failure you really are. He just rises them above it. And, and instead of a generational curse, you have a generational blessing that goes on from generation because he'll increase it in your children and increases in your children's children. And we can see that through the Old Testament. That's the heart of God is for there to be increases and, and growth spiritually and to bless them in many ways and to make them his people 
and be victorious. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's a balance. It's not, it's not saying I, I want a Cadillac and I'm just hoping God's saying that to you and maybe I'll get lucky like playing the lottery. Sometimes we pray like the lottery, you know, and this whole thing about name and claim, and it, it really was more like lottery. You, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe God's telling someone to just go out and they're going to just be able to take material possessions that they don't have the means to take unless he's done it miraculously and, and provided it. But, but then to turn around and say, well, I wasn't right that time, so this must not be God's will. I'll try again later. You see, some people are trying to make the words create the faith instead of the faith create the words. So, so I've been around this, and I'll say something like, man, I'm really hurting today. And like, oh, don't say that. Don't say that. It becomes a superstitious thing. Don't say that because you're speaking into existence. No, I, I'm not speaking into existence. It hurt, and then I said it. <laughs> In other words, I was a little behind on telling you because it actually was hurting before I said it. In fact, my mind, because I'm a little bit tired today, it took a while for the pain to go up here and say, you're hurting there. Maybe I ought to go get that checked out. And I want to just tell them hogwash, baloney, get out of my face with that. Because that's not the gospel. You're, you're trying to make all your problems go away and have this rose-colored glass life by saying things and saying, just as long as you don't say it, it won't happen. Or if you just say it, it'll just happen. No, from the faith, when you don't doubt it. When you don't doubt it. You can't make somebody not doubt it. I can't say to Ken, now, now, don't doubt that you don't have pain. And he's like, I'm hurting, I'm trying. Don't doubt it, Ken. See, I can make him say it. Now, Ken, don't say that's hurting, and you'll be okay. And see, from that, from that doctrine, all Ken's learned is that as long as he doesn't say the words, it doesn't happen. It's not true. But in the same way, if you keep telling a child they're no good, if you keep telling a child that they aren't smart enough or they're not trying hard enough and you, you didn't, never build them up, you never uh, go in according to God's word to, to love them as Jesus would love them and count them as, as the first in the kingdom and, and treat them as Jesus would treat them, then, then you will crush them. But if you do that, you'll build them up. 2 Corinthians 4.13 in the NIV, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. It is written, I believed, Therefore, I have spoken. I had the faith. We're going to hear from Hola Batane at the end of this month, and I'm not going to do any more spoilers. I've already spoiled some of it. She's going to tell you some stories, and there's going to be some stories probably on a video about her husband. They're going to show you this in play. When, when someone believes it so much in their heart and they can speak it out in confidence because I know God's already told me, there's no doubt. And too many Christians are guarded in what they speak about God. And even the reverse, they are so focused on the negative, so focused on their problems, that all they speak is problems and negativity. And this isn't self-help. This isn't name it and claim it. This is truly what God's work is. You speak life and death with the power of the tongue. You want to keep on having your trials? Then you keep just meditating on them. You want to keep yourself down and, and, and rob yourself of the joy the Lord's trying to give you? Then you just keep speaking that out. You just keep saying it, and you see what happens. You see if your life improves. There's the proof in the pudding. By their fruit, they will be known. When someone cannot ever get over the problems that they have, and that's all they speak, and they all they speak, and all they speak, do you see the power of God working in their life? Is he working or not? Well, he may be, but we're sure not going to find out about it from them, are we? Something that I post on Facebook, sometimes we're so focused on that we can't see the blessings of God that are around us. I might go out on a limb here. You know, some of you are in this situation and you need to speak to it. I'm just saying there is a power in the word spoken in faith according to the will of God. But it must be in the direction and the will of God. Listen, I have a conviction this morning. This message is for us. It's for a new song. It's for us. And I am on shaky ground myself because this goes, it, it, it makes me very uncomfortable because I'm so afraid of the other side, of taking it out of balance and it becoming something where people get weird about it and they get obnoxious about it and they take it and they start making it like God's a genie in a bottle again. We're just going to say the little incantation and things are going to happen. But I do know one thing is that God has called me to live out my faith before you and to have faith. And I can't do that if all I can focus on and talk about is those things that are not happening. We also see an Old Testament example. Abram, around 75, 80 years old. Genesis 17, 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham which means father of the multitude, for I have made you the father 
of a multitude of nations. I've mentioned that when I was a kid, we moved here when I was in sixth grade, and uh, my nickname was Dubby, D-U-B-B-Y, but I talked fast, so they thought I was saying Debbie, and after a few rounds of people thinking my name was Debbie, I changed it to CJ for Clyde Jr. Came home from school, mom and dad, my name is now CJ. And they're like, okay, no, seriously, I'm not bringing my friends over until you can get this straight, you know? I didn't really talk to my parents that way. In our home, you didn't talk to your parents that way. Uh, Mom, Dad, please don't call me Dubby anymore, you know? But listen to this. God says to Abraham, I have a future for you, and I'm changing your name to reflect your future. And so Abraham goes home, 75, 80 years old. He goes home to his wife and says, "Um, I changed my name. I had a little experience with God. My name is now Father of the Multitude. And so now you must call me Father of the Multitude. No more Abram. It's Abraham, Father of the Multitude. So, but here's the thing, uh, whether Sarah smirked or what she thought about that, every time she says, Father of the multitude, she is speaking to what God has promised him. From God, God's words, not his. The faith already there. The words speaking out, confirming, reconfirming, over and over again what God has already spoken. So uh, I'm suggesting to you there is power not only in, uh, in the the faith that we have, but in the words that we say about that faith. And, what, and that is everything to do with the miracle working power of God because every time God says it, it becomes more important. So every time God says something to us and we repeat it, it doesn't become more important because it is already important to God, but it becomes more true to us. We're strengthened in our faith. Job wouldn't speak death to his own situation even at the suggestion of his wife and God rewarded him for it. Faith expressed is powerful and the time has come for me as a leader of this church, especially this time, to vocalize stronger than ever what God has spoken for two decades or more about New Song and that is there is a spiritual son who is to build this church and it is me and God has ordained it and it is coming, it is here and it's not doing us any favors to speak against it, including myself. You can either be on the winning side, God's side, because it's already been prophesied, it's already been confirmed multiple times in miraculous ways. You can either speak to it or speak against it and be on the opposing side. Now, someone can have a problem with me and the way I lead, and that's okay, I'm not perfect. And they can get mad, they can go to another church, and they can speak bad about me. But when they speak against this church, when they badmouth the new song, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, it has new song, but when you come against the church in that way, when God has confirmed it over and over that this church will stand, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and you put yourself in a very precarious situation with God. Because now you're speaking death to something that he's spoken life to. There is that moment when you have to take a deep breath. When God gives you faith that something's going to happen, and you know he's weighing on you to speak it out. And you have to say, let her rip tater chip. I'm letting it go. Because it's not mine, it's his. And I was never meant for me to keep under wraps. And there's people you're going to face, that's true. And they may not be bad people or bad intentions, but they're just going to have questions. And they're going to question you up and down. And you have this urge like you've got to defend God's words. And... You have to do like the, 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 some of the people that were healing the Bible. All I know is I was blind and now I see. All I know is I was deaf and now I hear. All I know is I was lame and now I walk. I don't know. You ask God about the rest. We think we've got to defend his words when, when confidence in his words should say, there's no defense here needed. God will defend his own words. Your words of doubt and your words of defeat penalize you. They work against you. Some of you want to believe for good things, but the way that you talk, the way that you talk about your situation, it works against you. And so Mark eleven twenty three. Truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. What is your mountain? I want to quickly give you the last two points because uh, we've gone over time and I want, to, I want to close while I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying it's time. Number three, the superpower of faith is through prayer. Here's, here's the thing that differentiates you from those who says it's all about the word for the sake of faith. That you speak it and then the faith happens. This is what tells them, no, it's not. It's through prayer. In Mark eleven twenty four, 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. 
This is the same breath, the same lesson. Jesus is saying, whatever you ask in prayer, this isn't just willy-nilly, whatever I see. I see that shiny car. God, give it to me in Jesus' name as mine. No, go to prayer. Guaranteed, if you earnestly seek him in prayer and you're really praying, he'll probably tell you, I can't trust you with that because you can't be good with what you got. Let's go on to other things. Jesus said, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. The greatest tragedy is not that prayers go unanswered, but that they go unasked. So we have to ask through prayer. Hebrews 11, now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So this is the place where you step out in prayer for whatever you cannot see, but certain of what you do not see. Number four and the last one, the superpower of faith forgives. And this is where we get into that passage we said is not in everyone, but we can see in many other places in Scripture where this is reaffirmed. Uh, but in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. For if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. In other words, when you go to prayer, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of those that you've wronged or you have uh, hard feelings towards. Because when you're praying, you need to make sure there's no sin in your heart. Psalm 66, 18 says, if, you ha- if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You block your prayers when you have unresolved sin. I'm not saying God, uh, God uh, will not walk with you, but I'm saying when you are refusing to let go of things, there's things you're hanging on. That's your one thing I'm not ready to let go. That person did me too wrong, and I am not going to let that go. Everybody else is fine, but God's going to have to understand it's just too much of a hurt. I can't let go of that one thing. But it says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And why does he use this one particular thing? Lots of sins, because it's the one probably most common in the heart, the human condition, the sinful nature, is being able to forgive. And, it's, and there's, there's, when there's unforgiveness, you won't have mountain-moving supernatural faith. The word in the Greek for forgive literally means to hurl away. Get it away from you. Push it away. Get rid of it. Go to that person or whatever you have to do, but you have to achieve that forgiveness. Get it, give it, but you have to keep unforgiveness away. So here's the thing. We have so much to be thankful for, but we have a lot to be done. And I need folks who will go out to that land and will have faith and pray to that dirt that God will provide because that's the most expensive part of our whole build. I need people who will go out there and pray, God, and visualize that building and say, God, I just believe you've promised, you've already prophesied it to, to this church through, through Lynn uh, over 10 years before the church started. You, you confirmed it many times over through multiple people. Pastor Roger, who didn't even know that story at the time, came and told me that Jen and I were supposed to be the pastors here after they have been here a year. And then backing up, I remember Pastor Jim, when I talked to him before the church started and he was in Indiana, I said, I think we changed our mind. I think we're going to come to New Song. And he began to sob, and he said, God told me very clearly that above all, we could not start unless you and Jen agreed to come. Now, what do you do with those things? You keep them to yourself, you bottle up when God has spoken? Because he could have said that, right? Pastor Jim says, you know what, I might be wrong about that. I'm just hang on and see what happens. Pastor Roger said, you know what, I'm going to hang on to what I heard at the funeral about Pastor CJ, or about CJ being the pastor here. I'm going to hang on to that because I could be wrong. Lynn could have hung on to when God told her that her husband was going to not live to be an old man, but one day go build a church, and he wouldn't finish it, and that spiritual son would build it. And that was, you know, and they didn't have children ever, and they could have hung on to that. But how would I know? When I went to pray, how would I have known that God had confirmed it? How would I have known to step into the role God had given me? If it hadn't been so blaringly obvious, that I would have had to literally deny Christ to not take this role. You see, we need people who will step out in faith and speak it, articulate it, but keep that balance of, hey, listen, I'm just speaking the things God has already spoken to me. I'm speaking about faith that's already there, not about trying to create word, uh, faith by words I say. We need that. I need that. I need your help. I need your camaraderie in that. I, I need you to build me up in that. I, I need, we all need that together. God is doing amazing things. The way things are starting to fall in line now, it still feels scary. I mean, I went to two um, regional maps things trying to get more volunteers, and I didn't get, I think we got one more on the list, one more, and that's great. 
But, you know, there's some projects that have 17 couples going to, and we have like four or five. Five, I think. Five couples and maybe one single person. So, you know, I'm looking at this, and we're, and, but you know what? I talked to a pastor in Branson, built the same size church. They're finishing it up. Uh, Jim and Judy ran by there while they were in Branson yesterday, and they just built uh, the same thing. God provided for them miraculously, and they saved $300,000 on that same size building that we're building. So, and from my understanding, they didn't have a ton of people there. God just increased the faith of those who were there. He strengthened the faith of those who were there. He, he gave them supernatural strength to carry on on those long, tiring days when there's only a few. God will do it for us too, but we need to step out in faith. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word and for your encouragement to me personally, Lord. I thank you even in the midst of trials, sometimes personal trials, God, that you give us excitement about the things that you're doing for your kingdom's sake. Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that there are people here who have walked a long walk with you, but Lord, even today, now they're challenged in new ways that, God, you make everything new. And today, every day is a new day for you. Jesus, I just pray as we step foot on that land, as people go out and they mobilize, and they begin to step on that property and they begin to pray over that property, that you would increase our faith. Lord, not by quantity, but by quality. Real faith. Just faith of a tangible mustard seed, God. One that says, I, already, I believe what you've spoken. You've already spoken it. There, there's just a matter of I can't see it yet. I don't see that building there. I don't see that dirt boot. But God, I, I, I speak to that, what you've already, what you have already willed. I speak to that and say, God, let this mountain be moved. Lord, for that addiction in our lives, God, for that marriage that's failing, for those things that are hurting, Lord, those, those, that brokenness in us, Lord, let us be able to speak to those things which you've already said in your word that you want to, to bring to correction to, that you want to bring healing to, that, God, you want to bring salvation to. Speak accordance in faith to what you have already promised. That mountain be removed and cast into the sea. So we have our heads bowed in prayer. I just want to ask you that this is not anything where you need to raise your hands, but inside you need to you need to examine your heart. And if God, if this is an area that you want God to, to help you with, it has been a, a real struggle, then I'm going to challenge you to, to pray right now and ask Him to help you. And there's altars here that if you feel that that's your best way to just really step out of faith and say, God, I'm going to get uncomfortable for a moment here and I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to call out to you and I just pray that you'll move out and do that but don't pass up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to change something in your innermost being thank you Jesus we just come to you God bless you. And remember Wednesday night, 6.30, we meet again. And I love you. Just If you need to know where the property's at so you can go out and pray on the property, I'd really appreciate that. We, we need all the prayer. Uh, we've needed it, but we need to increase um, in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you.